Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 5. If you're taking notes, I have titled our study this morning, I Wish I'd Been There. I Wish I'd Been There. Mark, chapter 5. We will be reading verses 1 through 20 for our study this morning. Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. And when you have it, say amen. Amen. This is what Mark tells us. Chapter 5, we are going to read verses 1 through 20. Let's begin. Then they came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains and the chains had been pulled apart by him and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. And always night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshiped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, what have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. For he said to him, come out of the man, unclean spirit. Then he asked him, what is your name? And he answered saying, my name is Legion. For we are many. Also, he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Now, a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains. So all the demons begged him, saying, send us to the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There was about 2,000 and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. Those who fed the swine fled and they told it in the city And in the country, and they went out to see what it was that had happened. Verse 15. Then they came to Jesus and they saw the one who had been demon possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who saw it told them. How would happen to him who had been demon possessed and about the swine? Then they begin to plead with Jesus to depart from the region. And when he got into the boat, he who had been demon possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends And tell them what great things the Lord has done for you. And how he has had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him. And all marveled. Amen. On November 29th, 1999, Sports Illustrated, a very famous sports magazine, published a a series of articles 
in an edition of their magazine titled, I Wish I'd Been There. I Wish I'd Been There. Now, in these articles, sports writers and journalists, they were asked to select a sporting event that took place during the 20th century, 20th century, excuse me, where they wish they had been there. And they were asked to select an event and to write about it. And many events were chosen in that special edition. One writer picked a football game, the Washington Redskins versus the Philadelphia Eagles, which took place in 1941. And the author said that the reason why he picked this event is because this football game was going on at the exact time Pearl Harbor was being bombed by the Japanese. But the president of the Redskins refused to announce it to the audience because he didn't want to get them distracted from the game. And so everyone in America knew about Pearl Harbor except for the 20,000 people in that stadium. Another writer picked a baseball game, a, a World Series versus the Brooklyn Dodgers and the New York Yankees that took place in 1947. And the author said that he picked this because that was the first World Series televised on TV and that was the first World Series to feature a black baseball player, the late, great Jackie Robinson. Another writer picked a, a boxing match that took place in 1964. And the boxing match was Cassius Clay versus Sonny Lister. Muhammad Ali, the first time he won the bout at the age of 22. And so all these events were chosen where these sports writers wish they had been there. In all these events, they would have been very spectacular to witness. It would have been very special to be there and witness the events firsthand. But me personally, if I can go back in time and witness any event in the past, it wouldn't be a sporting event, but in all actuality, it would be an event during the Lord's earthly ministry. I wish I'd been there. I often tell myself that phrase when I read the accounts found in the gospel and when I begin to learn and study and read about the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. I wish I'd been there. And here in, in Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20, it's one of those accounts when I read it, I, I say to myself, oh man, I wish I'd been there. But luckily for me, and luckily for you, others were there. And they witnessed this amazing account and they recorded it for us. And yet, as, as I read it, and as I read the context before the chapter, I think it's safe to say that some of the disciples who were there, they probably wanted to be somewhere else. Let me explain. Just before this account happened, in Mark chapter 5, the disciples, they experienced a near-death experience, I like to say. They almost died. 
And I don't think they were over this near-death experience when they arrived on the shore of the Gadareans. Before we get into chapter 5, at the end of chapter 4, Mark tells us that Jesus told the disciples that they were going to go across to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Sounded pretty simple. The Lord told these men, let's go in the boat and let's sail to the other side of the sea. And so the disciples with Jesus, they got into their boat and they began to make their way to the other side of the sea. But as they were sailing across the sea, Mark tells us that all of a sudden, a great windstorm arose and the waves began to beat against the boat and the boat began to fill with water. You know, as all this was going on, the disciples began to get terrified. And very quickly, they ran to Jesus, who was asleep under the stern of the boat. And the disciples went to Jesus, and they began to to wake him up. They began to shake him, and they said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? In their minds, they thought they were going to die. Don't you care that we're perishing? Don't you care that the boat is going down? You see, the disciples didn't know about the day of Pentecost or the book of Acts or they didn't know about all the epistles they were going to write. At that moment, all they thought was that they were going to go down with the boat. And they woke up Jesus and said, Teacher, don't you care that, 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 that we're perishing? And Luke, excuse me, Mark, Luke mentions it too, but Mark tells us that very calmly the Lord Jesus arose. I can often picture the Lord kind of like rubbing his eyes, maybe stretching out, maybe yawning a little bit, you know, doing a little exercise He gets up and Mark tells us that the Savior simply rebukes the wind. And he says to the sea, peace be still. And Mark tells us that the wind ceased and there was a great calm. But the disciples, they thought they were going to die. And they just had this near-death experience. And they arrive to the shores of the gatherings. And I, I promise you, they're not over what just happened in the boat. No one recovers that quickly from a near-death experience. And, and there they are. Shaken, terrified, trembling, probably kissing the very sand of the shore. And Mark tells us that as Jesus and the disciples arrive to the shores of Gadarenes, that immediately from the distance, someone appears. And this someone begins to move quickly towards the Savior and towards the disciples. Now, now this individual, Mark tells us, is bloodstained, scarred, and without clothing. He is a madman, and he is running full speed towards the Savior, And towards the disciple. Man, I wish I'd been there to observe the disciples and their response. What was going through the minds of the disciples? They had just almost drowned. 
they make it to the shore and they're met by a madman. What was going through their mind? I wish I'd been there to see their response. But more importantly, I wish I'd been there to observe the calm one, the Lord Jesus Christ. Previous, the previous evening, the Lord Jesus calmed a violent storm. And now he's going to calm a storm of a different nature. He was going to calm the storm that was raging in the heart and soul of a demon-possessed man. I wish I'd been there. Now, Mark takes the time to describe to us the condition of this demon-possessed man who ran towards Jesus. And this is what Mark tells us. He tells us that this man, that he dwelt in the tombs. And he tells us that no one was able to bind him or tame him. They tried to shackle him. They tried to wrap him in chains. But this man filled with demons exercised supernatural strength and broke every shackle and every chain. No one was able to tame him. Mark tells us that this demon possessed man cried out night and day. He had no peace, no rest, but day and night he cried out. And I believe for help. And Mark even tells us that this man would grab stones and that he would cut himself with stones. And I could imagine that he was trying to free himself from the demons who were within him. He would cut himself, trying to release, trying to free himself from the demons. And so Mark gives us this description of this man's condition. And as you read it and as you think about it, it's safe to say that it's probably the saddest description in all of Scripture. This man's condition was miserable, it was wretched, and it was hopeless. Night and day, he would cry out for help And there seemed to be no help coming. He cried, he looked, he searched for hope. And there seemed to be no hope for this man. Until one day, Mark tells us, hope arrived. From a a distance, this demon-possessed man called Legion He sees a single boat approaching to the shores of the Gadareans. And this man, for the first time, he sees the Savior, the Son of God, getting out of the boat. Hope has arrived. And and Mark tells us that immediately, without delay, This demon-possessed man called Legion, he runs towards the Savior and he falls down before the Savior in worship. I wish I'd been there. What was that like? What was that encounter like? This demon-possessed man filled with probably six thousand demons a legion of demons no one was able to bind him or tamed him but there he is in the presence of the son of god and the only thing he can do is fall down terrified 
in worship. I wish I'd been there. And Mark tells us that as this man approached the Savior, the Savior, and and you see the love, you see the compassion, you see the authority of the Savior. Mark tells us that the Savior commands these unclean spirits to leave the man. And they obey Jesus. They leave the man according to the command of the Savior. And Mark tells us that as the result of the Savior's action, this demon-possessed man who was living in the tombs, who no one could tame, no one could calm, who would cry out night and day, who would cut himself with stones. Mark tells us that once he had an encounter with Jesus, that he found himself sitting clothed and in his right mind. I wish I'd been there. Sitting clothed and in his right. Now, now, after you read about such a great miracle, after you read about this miraculous liberation of this man from demonic forces, you would think that you would read that the local reaction, the reaction of the community would be mass celebration, mass conversion in mass Revival, truly after such a miracle like that, many would come to the feet of the Savior. But as you continue to read the account, to our surprise, Mark tells us that instead of mass celebration, there was mass opposition. And the people, instead of receiving Christ, They begged Jesus to leave. They pleaded, they asked, they desperately begged Jesus to depart from their area. Mark tells us in verse 17, then they began to plead with him to depart from their region. And when I read that, when I think about that, I say to myself, how could this be? How could this reaction be amongst the people? Didn't they just see what took place? Didn't they just see that the Lord transformed the life of this man? How could this be? How could they beg the Savior to leave? As I thought about that, Jeremiah 17.9 came to my mind. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. That's why the reaction was what it was. The heart is wicked without the work of grace. The heart is desperately wicked without the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. You know, as I read that, as I think about that, it makes me understand really that there's only two types of people. Those who plead with Jesus to leave and those who pray for Jesus to stay. And this morning, maybe you're here, maybe you're even listening to this CD. And maybe you're, you're one of those people who resist Jesus, reject Jesus, and plead with Jesus to leave. If that's you, I just pray that the Holy Spirit would just convict your heart and that your attitude would change towards the Savior and you would start begging him to stay. 
because you desperately need Jesus more than you'll ever know. You need Jesus so much. And don't beg him to leave, but start begging him to stay. And so here in in Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20, we read about this account of the Savior's encounter with the demon-possessed man called Legion. And this morning, I briefly want to share with you three things this passage teaches us. Three things that we can get, that we can learn from this passage of Scripture. As you read it, as you study it, it's obvious you can get more than three things from it. But due to time restraints, due to the limited time I have, I'm just going to share with you three things that we learn, that we receive from this passage. And so if you got your Bibles open, if you got your notebook out, your pen or pencil in hand, this is the first thing I want to share with you. This passage teaches us about the unique identity and absolute authority of the Savior. I'm going to say it again and I'm going to say it more slowly because this is so important. This passage teaches us about the unique identity and absolute authority of the Savior. I find it interesting that Mark, after recording this account with a demon-possessed man, Jesus's account, encounter with him, Mark continues in verse 21 of Mark chapter 5 to record Jesus's encounter with Jairus. Let me share with you. You don't have to read it. You can read it at another time. But let me share with you what follows the account of the demon-possessed man. Jairus, he was the ruler of a synagogue, and he approaches Jesus, and Jairus lets Jesus know that his daughter is very sick, that his daughter was approaching death. And so Jairus, he goes to Jesus and he begs Jesus, Lord, come to my house, lay hands on my daughter that she might be healed. And so the Savior, who was full of love and full of compassion, he agrees and he begins to make his way to the house of Jairus. But Mark tells us that as Jesus was traveling to Jairus's home, that a great multitude was following, it was gathering around Jesus. And in the midst of the multitude, Mark tells us that there was a woman who for 12 years had an issue with blood. This woman suffered greatly with this sickness of blood. And Mark tells us that she spent all her money on physicians, but she didn't get any better, but she just got Worse. And so this woman was in the multitude that was following Jesus to Jairus' house. And this woman, she was convinced that if she was just able to touch the garments of Jesus, she was convinced that she would be healed. And so Mark tells us some way or somehow the woman makes her way to Jesus. And I often imagine she's on her knees crawling because the multitude is so great fighting, pushing, struggling to get near Jesus. But she is able to get near 
him and she stretches out her hand and she just touches the garment of Jesus. And Mark tells her that at that very moment, she was healed. Amen. But when that took place, the Lord, he he sensed that power was going out from him. And he stopped and he turned around to the crowd and he said, who touched my clothes? Now, when the Lord said that, the disciples kind of thought that he was acting a little strange because there was multitudes that were around him, surrounding him, touching and crushing him. But the Lord knew what had just taken place and he stopped and he asked the question, who touched my clothes? And Mark tells us that the woman was trembling. And she was fearful and she stepped forward. She identified herself and she told Jesus everything that had happened. And there the Lord, with love and compassion, he told this woman, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of all your afflictions. And she left that day healed. But Mark tells us that while all this was going on, while the Savior was talking to the woman, that all of a sudden someone came and told Jairus bad news. They told Jairus, your daughter is dead. She was sick. She was approaching death. The Savior took too long. She was dead. But Mark tells us that this bad news didn't stop the Savior. It didn't deter the Lord Jesus. But he continued to Jairus' home. And Mark tells us that he made his way To the little girl's dead body. And Jesus told her. Talitha kuma. Which means little girl. I say to you. Arise. And immediately. The little girl. Arose. And walked. And so you got the story. Of the storm. You got the story. Of the demoniac. You got the story of the woman with the issue of blood and you got the story of Jarius's daughter coupled all together here near Mark chapter five. And it's not a coincidence that Mark, under the inspiration and guidance of the spirit that put all these stories together. He wanted us to understand the unique identity and the absolute authority of the Savior. Is it a violent storm? Be still. Is it a demon-possessed man? Come out. Is it a woman with an issue of blood? Be healed. Is it a little girl who has died? Arise. Jesus Christ is Lord over all. He's Lord over all. Lord over nature. Be still. Lord over demons. Come out. Lord over disease. Be healed. Lord over death. Arise. He is Lord over all. That's the identity. That's the authority of Jesus. Lord over all. In Matthew 28, 18, the Lord says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Amen. 
In Revelations 1.8, the Lord said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Amen. Jesus is Lord of all. And this morning, what's your need? What's your battle? What's your struggle? Know this Jesus is Lord over all. He is King of kings and Lord of lords, and he has absolute authority. That's the Jesus of the scriptures. That's the Jesus of the New Testament church. And that's the Jesus that we serve this morning. Lord over all. Be still. Come out. Be healed. Arise. And so the first thing we learn from this passage is the unique identity and the absolute authority of the Savior. Let's look at number two. The the second thing we learn or we see from this passage is that this passage reminds us of our condition before we came to Christ. This passage reminds us of our condition before we came to Christ. In a very graphic way, this demon-possessed man is a picture of all of us before we came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Before we came to Christ, we were all in a miserable, wretched, and hopeless condition. Whether you knew it or not, whether your conversion was dramatic or not dramatic, whether you came to Christ at the age of six or whether you came to Christ at the age of 60, it doesn't matter. All of us, before we came to Christ, we were in a miserable, wretched, hopeless condition. Look, at this is the scripture's diagnosis of our condition before we came to Christ. Listen to this. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we also once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. That's the scripture's diagnosis, description of us before we came to Christ. Before we came to Christ, we were all dead in sin. We were all walking the course of this world. We were all slaves to Satan and we were all by nature children of wrath. That was our condition. That was our state before we came to Christ. But in the pure mercy and grace of God, and it was just the mercy and grace of of God, the one Jesus who emerged from this boat here in chapter five of the gospel of Mark, this one, he re-entered the boat for the country of the Gadarenes was not his final destination, but his final destination was a hill called Calvary. In that Calvary, the Savior, the sinless one, the Lamb of God, willingly offered himself as a substitute for our sins. And he triumphed over sin, over Satan, and over the world. 
And now, because of what Jesus did, because he re-entered the boat, and because he went to Calvary, now we, who have received him by faith, we can say by the grace of God, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and he has conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. Now we can say those words because he re-entered the boat and he went to the cross. And so this passage of this demon-possessed man, it reminds us this morning of how much the Lord has done for us and how he has had mercy on us. Listen, listen, this passage, this, this portion of scripture that we just read, it should provoke us This morning to break out in praise, to break out in worship, to break out in tears, to break out in shouts of joy over all the Lord has done for us. It should provoke us to just lift our hands this morning in worship because he has had mercy on us. He has saved us. And we see that in this passage. No, before we came to Christ, all of us were passionately running a hell-bound race. All of us were slaves to sin, enemies with God, the objects of God's wrath, Controlled by sin, controlled by Satan, we were running a hell-bound race. And yet Christ, in his infinite love, in mercy, in grace, he went to the cross. He took our place. He satisfied the wrath of God that was against our sins. And he now has justified us. He has forgiven us. He has redeemed us. He has reconciled us. And he has given us everlasting life. And that's just a small sample of all that the Lord has done. And this morning now, as believers, we find ourselves no longer like this man here in Mark 5, controlled by sin, controlled by Satan. But now we find ourselves free, children of the Most High God. And it's all that the Lord has done for us. And he has been merciful for us. And may we never forget what the Lord has done. Never forget the cross. Never forget the sacrifice that Jesus has made for you. May the cross of Christ never become a familiar thing in our lives. And may we never stop being amazed at the cross of Christ. You know what my prayer is for my life and your life is that as believers over time, we would not be less amazed, but more amazed at the cross. That is my desire, that I'm more amazed, that I'm more appreciative, that I'm more in awe of the cross. A 
of what Jesus has done. And how Jesus had mercy on me, a sinner racing towards hell with passion, with fervor. And the Lord, by his infinite grace and mercy and love, he rescued me. He saved me. Now I'm clothed with the righteousness of Christ. Now I'm sitting down in the presence of God. Now my mind is is renewed. Now I have entered into eternal life. And it's all because of what he has done. It's all because of his willingness to go to the cross, to die for our sins, to be crushed by God. And this morning, be freshly reminded of all that Jesus has done for you. This morning, rejoice in the cross of Christ. This morning, rejoice. Listen, listen, family. This morning, you have something to be thankful for. Regardless of your week, regardless of your situation, regardless of your circumstances, we complain, we murmur, we whine, and we don't understand all we have in Christ. And this morning, rejoice in the cross. This morning, be thankful for the cross. This morning, remember all the Lord has done for you And how he has had mercy on you. Rejoice. It's okay to tear up. Tear up over the cross. It's okay. It's okay to be broken. It's okay to to be contrite in heart. It's okay to, to raise up your hands. It's okay to express your thanksgiving to the Lord this morning. It's okay. We have much to rejoice. We are sinners saved by grace. We have been forgiven. We're the redeemed. We've been cleansed. We've been washed. We've been purified from all sin. This morning, there's no condemnation against us, but we've been justified in the sight of of God. And this morning, God calls us his own. We have access to God this morning. And it's okay to rejoice. It's okay to smile. Amen. It's okay to tear up. It's okay to express some emotion. The Lord's done so much. And this passage, it reminds us of our condition and it reminds us of all the Lord has done let's end with this last point the third thing and the final thing I want to share with you is this this passage Mark 5 verses 1 through 20 it encourages us to follow the example of this man who was set free by Jesus. It encourages us to follow the example of this man set free from Jesus. Jesus healed this man, freed this man, and the people begged the Savior to leave. And Mark tells us that Jesus leave. But as Jesus was re-entering the boat. The man who had just been freed from the demons, he draws near 
to Jesus and he begs Jesus that he might be with him. Lord, let me go with you. Lord, please let me go with you. He begs Jesus that he might go with him. But Mark tells us that Jesus, full of compassion and full of wisdom, doesn't permit the man to go with him. But Mark tells us in verse 19 that Jesus tells this man, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had compassion on you. The man wanted to go with Jesus, but Jesus told them to go home and to tell his friends and family all that Jesus had done for his life. Others needed to hear the good news. And in verse 20, don't miss this. Mark tells us that this man departed from Jesus, from that area, and just like Jesus told him, he began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for And the people marveled. Jesus gave them a command. Go tell everyone. Go tell your friends. Go tell your family what I have done. And this man, he didn't pray about it. He didn't have to think about it. He didn't need a dream. He didn't need a vision. He didn't need to go to Bible school. He simply obeyed. And he proclaimed to everyone. What Jesus had done, and Mark tells us, all marveled. All were amazed and astonished to hear the testimony of this man. Now, as you continue to read the Gospel of Mark, you will learn at the end of chapter 7, in the beginning of chapter 8, that as Jesus returned to the Decapolis, where this very man was sharing that Jesus was met by a great multitude. That Jesus was met by many, many people. The people's response to Jesus was completely different the second time he came around. Now, Mark doesn't tell us, you won't find it in the Gospels, of whether or not the response of the multitude was a result of this man's witness and of this man's preaching. But I personally don't think it's hard to believe that it was a result. You know, I can imagine that as Jesus returned to this area to the Decapolis, that he looked out to the multitude. And there in the multitudes, he sees this man who he freed, who he delivered, standing there in front. And this man, he has his family and he has his friends. And after the Lord is done teaching, this man approaches Jesus and he says, Jesus, I want you to meet my friends. I want you to meet my family. I've told them. I've told them all the great things you have done and how you had compassion on me. I've told them. I've told my family. I've told My friends, and here they are, Lord. They all marveled, and they want what I have. This passage, it encourages us to follow the example of this man. All of us this morning, we have a testimony 
the Lord has done an amazing work in our lives. There's no greater miracle than the miracle of regeneration, than the miracle of the new birth. The Lord's done so much. He's had mercy on us. He's had compassion. And we need to tell others. We need to tell others about Jesus. We need to take the time. We need to make the effort and share Jesus with others. Because like this man, we are surrounded by people who find themselves in the same condition. And we need to share with them that Jesus is Lord of all and that he rescued, he has saved us, and he can do the same for them. And this week, I encourage you, share Jesus at every opportunity. Tell them what the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. You know, one day, and I'm going to ask my, my brother to, to come up. One day, all of us as believers, we're going to see Jesus face to face. And on that day, when we see Jesus face to face, I pray that we're going to be with friends and we're going to be with family and we're going to be with neighbors and co-workers and classmates and we're going to be able to stand in front of Jesus with all our friends, with all our family, with our co-workers and neighbors and classmates and we're going to be able to say, look, Jesus, I told them, I told them all that you have done for me. I told them, Lord, I obeyed, Lord. I told them how you saved me, how you rescued me, how you delivered me, and how you had mercy on me. And if by God's grace we're able to say that the Lord will respond, well done, good and faithful servant. This week, share Jesus. Tell everyone what the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Jonah, could we sing that song, if it's possible, thank you for the cross. Would that be possible, brother? Let's sing this song this morning. Wow, the Lord has spoken to us. And after a, a word, after a study, after a message like that, all we can do is respond in worship. And so I'm going to invite you to stand up from, from your seat and let's sing this song together. Thank you for the cross, Lord. Thank you for the price you made, bearing all my sin and shame. In love you came and gave a mercy grace. Thank you for this love. Now all I 
your forgiveness and embrace. Worthy is the Lamb seated on the throne.
for our health, for for our works. Thank you, Lord, for our family, for our loved ones. Thank you, Lord, that we might go through storms. We might go through difficult times. But you sustain us. You hold us. You help us to persevere. We thank you, Lord. We bless you, Lord, this morning. And as we leave, Father, I pray that you would be with us this week, that we would share what you have done for us, and that we would share about the mercy that you have given us to all those that we come in contact with this morning. Lord, this morning you send us out, not as a mission field, but as missionaries to the mission field. And our mission field is school, Lord. Our mission field is work. Our mission field is the grocery store. Our mission field is even some of our homes, Lord. We can't be quiet no more, Lord. We have to say something. We pray that you would fill us with your spirit. That you would endue us with heavenly power. That we would go out from this place and that we would be witnesses